This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunes. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we always do. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. This is kind of our first mini break as far as the season goes. A uh, lot of games early on for the Kings, but this is our first time where we're, we're recording back-to-back without a game in between. So we thought we'd bring on a guest, and we got a great one today. It is Sean Cunningham of ABC10 uh, just talking before the podcast started rolling that he's in his 17 and a half, I guess you'd say, 18th season covering the Kings. Um, so happy to have you here with us. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Thanks for that open. Uh, it's good to be with you guys. And uh, yeah, eight, man. But, I mean, if that, I don't like putting numbers on things because it just makes me feel old. But yeah, 2001, the first season uh, that I dabbled in in 02 was the first full season. So as I like to say, it's all been downhill since then for the game. So maybe I'm the current. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's impressive to have been uh, been around the team for that long, even if it wasn't always the most positive things. And obviously they got off to a rocky start, but um, coming into the year, what felt like the expectations for this team? Was it, was it really focused on playoffs or what were, what were you sort of feeling that was the hope coming into this season? Uh, I think it depends on who you ask. I think if you're surrounding the, the players and, and the coaching staff uh, and you kind of look at this as maybe a, an onion, that layer maybe had a little bit more of a realistic sense of where things were. If you peel back and maybe you're looking more organizationally and some of the expectations that some of the people in the front office would have had and ownership, I think they might've been a little bit more um, optimistic and and certainly hopeful. And then of course you peel that even further back to media and and fans alike. And uh, turned to argue, I think they're through the moon with, with some of the real, with the expectations that I, that they've had. And, if anyone follows me on Twitter or has done any of my work, you know, I'm, I'm always tend to be a little bit more pessimistic. Um, and that's just kind of what a lot of losing basketball that you end up seeing over the years. Um, I put this out literally the, the day they tweet, they, they uh, tipped off the season in Phoenix. Uh, we had our only a Washington down there and so many people had asked me what I was thinking towards the season. And I had really battled with it because uh, I, to be honest in, in full transparency, I had this, Win, this, the win total this season as low as 33. Now that's coming off of a 39 win season the year before and a year that I predicted they would be 23 to 25 wins. So I was thrilled to be, to be wrong and seeing the competitive nature of basketball that they had last year and, you know, really competing for a playoff spot. So that kind of gives you a little bit of, Hey, Sean's not always right. I'm totally fine with being wrong, but coming to this one, I had it as low as 33. I was kind of talked into 36, but either way, there's no difference between 33 and 36. You're still not making the playoffs. Um, just the way the West is, uh, I think people have to kind of temper their enthusiasm. You bring in a new, you bring in new players every single year. That's one thing. But when you bring in a new coaching staff and you're replacing a staff that's been here essentially for four years, and, and a lot of the um, foundation that that staff had, had laid, it's not just by osmosis that you get better. And I've argued that you can have a 33-36 win season um, and still be in a better situation, it doesn't make you better, but just because your core players uh, have developed another year further and you're hoping that somebody makes a leap like Aaron Fox did last year, that's progress. And that's a good thing. Uh, I know a lot of fans will probably cringe at that because it still means another year without making the playoffs, but 
I think that's just the reality of things. So around the team, I think it was pretty realistic. I think that their, you know, their goal is to battle for the playoffs and win every game as, as they should. Organizationally, I think they've got some pretty high hopes for Luke Walton and his staff. And of course, you know, fans and media like my peers, I think I was the only guy to have in this low and I took some heat for it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's as low as anyone I've heard uh, put out there, even before the season, even among bloggers, you know, I mean, fans, I guess, will tend to be a little bit higher on their own team. But yeah, 33 is low. And, you know, are you, are you putting it mostly on a change in coaching just in terms of the growing pains and adapting and uh, adjusting to a new system? Or did you think that the roster didn't get uh, significantly better or, or I guess that the roster played above their own, like punched above their weight last season, or what were some other aspects that got you down to that number? Yeah. I mean, I I should probably qualify it. Um, 36 wins is actually what I landed on. 33 is where I kind of started and got talked into. So 36, I do like that. Those other three games, but a part of it was really, um, again, the challenge of adding a new, new coaching staff, you lose, uh, and I know, look, he was the target of a lot of people's um, uh, harassment, even from myself. I mean, I, I, I uh, was was always amused at the uh, the lightning rod that was Willie Cauley Stein, both positive and negatively. Um, but you're losing a starting center. You have you have someone like Marvin Bagley, who's more than capable coming into that role, be it the four or the five. Um, but you know, I would say yes. With the last year, I felt Dave Yeager as a game manager, a brilliant. I, I consider him to be a very uh, for as prickly as he could be, I always considered him to be a very brilliant in-game coach. Uh, and I think he won them a lot of games, particularly in that fourth year when the roster really kind of acclimates to his his culture and his style and his staff style. Um, I, I was a guy who was very high on Yeager as a coach, as a lot of a lot of other coaches around the league are. Now, there are some shortcomings there, and we all get that. And we, we I totally understand and respect and actually agree with, with what – the, the Kings did and going after their guy. Vladi went after the guy he'd always wanted. He made that clear. Uh, I had known that from before Dave Yeager was hired. Um, it was just so happens that Luke Walton wasn't available at the time that they were in their coaching search. So, plus, you have to also remember the affinity that their owner, Vivek Ranadive, has for his former team that he was a minority owner for. And it wasn't like he was one of these minority owners that was, you know, oh, he's on the fringe. Like, you know, Kings have a ton of minority owners. This guy was very involved. Uh, he was very, very involved with day-to-day stuff. Uh, he was considered a lot. He was part of their board. Um, so, yeah, there's no – it doesn't surprise me when you have like Harrison Barnes here on this team, Luke Walton coaching the team. So, yeah, coaching is a big part big part of it. I thought Dave Yeager won them games, kept them competitive. Um, as I always say, you know, guys may have had problems with Dave Yeager from a personality standpoint or a get-along standpoint at times. I never thought it was a, a cancer in the locker room per se, but – a lot of those same players will turn around and say, yep, well, I had one of my best years under coach Dave. And, and that was, that was true. I mean, it was just undeniable. So um, there's that. I think I, a lot of people look at, of course, the off season acquisitions, which if you follow me, you know that I wasn't all that high on. I mean, I graded it probably at a B minus to a C plus. I thought they were very average. And part of that is because fans know when Vladi Divac first came in here and he made the, the Jason Thompson trade, that Philly trade, which was, Nick Stiles gets to Philly, Jason Thompson to Philly, and you do that to make cap room, and you had the swapping of the picks and that whole debacle that just really kind of screwed up the organization for the next few years. They were all pointing at this free agency classes where they were going to make their big splash. So I might be a little bit a bit biased in that regard, knowing that, hey, your big splash was Dwayne Dedman, your big splash was Corey Joseph. Those aren't big splashes. Those are ripples. Those are, There's some nice players there, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't the big splash. So because of that, I might grade a little harshly. And also because of that, yeah, you've got a lot of guys that don't necessarily push pace very, very well. I think we're seeing that early on. Rashawn Holmes has been a fantastic signing. I will say that. Uh, I, I was big on that signing. I didn't know what type of role he would play because you obviously have guys like Nemanja Bialica and, and Harry Giles that were still in the mix even before adding Dwayne Dedman. So I didn't know quite rotationally how that would fit. But I – the one thing I know, because I work with a Suns fan in Lena Washington, who's from Phoenix, uh, she made sure I knew who Rashawn Holmes was, and and it was, it, you know, it's undeniable. You can see his energy that he brings in game in, game out. So, a long-winded way, yes, coaching. I think some of the awkward, the, the off-season acquisitions, and I also felt because I was so pessimistic about last year, knowing that I had them at 23, 25 wins, uh, I thought they might come back down to earth. Also, coupled with how well the West 
how just how com- competitive the West is and how deep the West is. And certainly, yeah, you look at the Warriors and they're going through their their hardships, and obviously they're probably going to tumble out here. But I mean, who knows? They just beat Portland the other night with none of those guys, right? Their first win at Chase Center, and they don't have any of their major players to show for it. Right. And uh, obviously effort played a big part in that Golden State win. And that was something that we didn't see or we saw a lack of from this Kings team to start. They went out, uh, they started their first, they started 0-5 on the year, you know, sort of falling a little bit closer to your lower prediction. So what were your impressions in that start? You know, three of those games were against very good teams, uh, top playoff teams in the West. Um, What what were your impressions of that own five start? And aside from the effort, what do you feel like caused that? Well, I will say I, I, I thought they would do a one and five. I mean, the, they're opening with three games and four nights and then you're every other night after that. Um, and, and I don't like to use the India trip as an excuse. So I won't, um, but I will say, I mean, I look, a lot of teams have to deal with international travel. That's just, you know, that's just is what it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I, uh, you know, because of the open, I felt that they would they would probably go one and five. Now I didn't what I didn't expect, even though I was right, and I don't like to pat myself on the back, but I didn't expect, even though they were one and uh, oh and five, to be honest, they they ended up one and five, but they also went zero oh and five. I didn't expect the, the lack of competitive nature to be there. I didn't expect them to not be pushing the pace. Um, I expected them to get killed on defense. I mean that's just that's just one thing I, I knew that this team would be. But I think what surprised me most was. Uh, even even with the coaching change and seeing the philosophy of some of these players where when they run into the littlest, slightest bit of adversity and you can either hang your hat on the turnovers or the third quarter, that little bit of adversity, anytime they would run into it, it would snowball. And, and, and that's a sign of a really bad team when you're that fragile. So that is probably what I would, uh, you know, it's early season. There's things to work out. There's bad habits that they're developing. Um trying to correct some of those habits, I think is what has led to them winning the next two. But I think you can just, you know, there's a lot of feeling out process. So there were surprises despite the fact that they, they did pretty much what I expected. I just didn't expect them to be blown out. I expected to see some more fight. I knew there was going to be tough games. And I think, look, fans, you got, I mean, this is a fan, this is a fan site, a Sacktown royalty. So, you know, people who come to the site, they, they want to see their team succeed. More than anything, they want to see them play hard. I think that's what we can all, you know, agree on is that, you know, you can lose, but how you lose is if you're getting blown out by 30 and, and double digits and 25 or whatever it was, no one likes to see that. And I think that was probably the biggest surprise. And and, and what was your question there, Brendan? You asked about, about how to change it or how they changed it. Um, I think you did a pretty good job of covering most of it there. Um, yeah. 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 You covered – pretty much what I was asking in the premise there. Uh, yeah, well, it's interesting that you, it's, it's not to cut you off, but, you know, I was in, I was in New York for the Knicks game. I had an assignment to go to New York for the UFC and the Kings. And one thing I wanted to ask them, because I felt it was interesting, and I bet you're probably getting to this, but, you know, it, to win in, against the Jazz, a quality playoff team that I expect to go deep in the playoffs, and then, a, you know, an, another end of the spectrum in the Knicks are just flat-out terrible, but it does – begin that road trip right and it begins that three-game road trip and it's an opportunity as i like to call it as i like to say to get right uh asking some of the players and even luke like do you feel you turned a corner i was actually impressed that nobody said that they turned a corner um despite beating teams of decent caliber and terrible caliber team you should you should beat and a team you probably shouldn't um but because of that i think they are seeing themselves turn the corner in some of the some of those bad habits that they're trying to rid themselves of. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, that's interesting. So let's slow this down a little bit. Going back to the 0-5 uh, <clears throat> start, um, 
you know, what, aside from the effort stuff, like you mentioned, I mean, do you feel like there were any particular players that struggled? I mean, you, you kind of pointed out that you weren't super high on Deadman and it's pretty clear that he struggled massively to the point where he was benched. Um, and then, you know, getting to this, what, what you and I and Brendan would call a turnaround, but the Kings don't, you know, the players themselves are, are unwilling to say as of the moment, you know, did you see a lot of difference, you know, with Rashawn Holmes going into the starting lineup, with the smaller changes that were made, you know, what have been some of the changes on the court that you've seen? Well, I mean, the one thing is that the turnovers, I mean, the turnover is getting a little bit better. Um, the pace has picked up, which is good. I disagreed with what Luke Walton said after, and I believe it was the Hornets game where he said that he, uh, that they, or actually it was after the Nuggets game, he said, you know, we're going to push pace. Um, is we, we, I haven't emphasized it, and he said because the turnovers were so high, and typically, and he's he's kind of right, when when a team pushes pace, turnovers end up being a little bit higher. But that wasn't the case last year with Dave Yeager. They were at a breakneck speed. They were using their Lamborghini and, and De'Aaron Fox, and they were pushing, and they were scoring, and everybody was scoring. And they, I mean, they, you know, Amon Shumpert famously nicknamed them the scorers. So uh, I did disagree with that. I think, and I do think that they have pushed pace since then. I don't know that the Rashawn Holmes uh, replacement in the lineup has has created anything different, other than maybe trying to address some of the third quarter starts. Uh, some of the, the terrible stuff that we've seen in the third quarter. Um, and, and, and to Deadman, you know, it's not like – to, to say that I wasn't high on the pick is probably being a little bit, a little bit um, uh, over-simplistic because one of the things I think I feel about him is people are expecting him to come in at the age that he is. And I had someone tell you, don't think he'd be a double-double guy? I said, well, no, because he's never been that guy. Uh, to his credit, he, he's a – three-point shooter he's, he's like a he's like a poor man's brooke lopez um so i wasn't expecting him to do stuff that people wanted from willie Colley stein dwayne deadman coming out is really marvin bagley or, or excuse me willie Colley stein leaving and dwayne deadman coming in and deadman should be uh either starting along with willie or backing up Will, or excuse me starting alongside with marvin or backing up marvin uh without having bagley's energy I think Luke Walton recognized what the kind of spark plug Rashawn Holmes was and immediately put him in there. And having him in there with Belly, another guy that'll stretch the floor, just made sense. So, um, and quite incidentally, you know, one of the Kings' worst streaks of the season last year was when they didn't have Marvin Bagley. So when you couple his injury on top of that, we haven't even talked about that yet. Uh, I, I think it's just familiar patterns and using a guy that they use so much and plan to use so much and someone like Marvin Bagley that really – contributed to a lot of these setbacks early on yeah and Deadman, uh you kind of alluded to it a bit is definitely a compliment to marvin bagley uh playing alongside him having a roller and a popper uh is is good for the lineup part of why we've seen Holmes slotting in there next to bielitsa have you gotten a feeling of how Deadman has responded to being moved to that bench role to be honest i really haven't um i i feel like uh because he is a veteran and, and because of, you know, the guy, you know, if you know his story, he's got a really interesting story. He's a great guy. Um, you know, I, I, I happen to know some people that are really, really close to him and uh, like just give you a reader's digest version is he was late to the game of basketball. Um, you wouldn't think so being at seven foot, but you know, he's, he's kind of late to it. He's been a late bloomer. He went to USC. Um, he had some, you know, he had, he had to struggle to get into this league and make his mark and he, he's done it at, at some of the, tougher ways Rashawn Holmes by the way is a lot is, is very similar as well um but yeah I think I think Deadman is all for in the best interest of the team especially now I mean let's let's no mistake I mean he got paid so the guy's the guy's not really having to to fight for his role even not to say that that's going to take away from what he's going to add to the court but uh he's comfortable in this league now I think he'll support no matter what decision Luke makes he'll support that I think that's within his character for sure so, yeah, that's an interesting topic there. The, the way the veterans are playing with Luke Walton and more specifically, specifically the way that Walton is implementing their play, do you think that Walton is kind of leaning towards the vets? We know that Ariza is getting a lot of minutes. Uh, he played 32 minutes against the Jazz the other night. It's, it's interesting because in an odd way, I felt like a lot of the complaints or the 
the speculate the speculation around complaints around Jaeger, Jaeger, excuse me, were that he was kind of set in his ways and he liked the vets and this sort of thing. Um, and that fell away as the season went on. But do you get the impression that Walton has um, a tendency to lean on his vets? Or do you think that we'll see the roles of Joseph and Deadman and Ariza diminish a little bit as the season goes on? Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine he's like a lot of coaches. A lot of coaches are, you know, they're just weird. They're weird people in general. So they're, they're going to go with the guys that they can trust and the guys that have the, the bigger sample size, if you will. So, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to go with some of those guys that set an example. We were talking about why those struggles were happening too. Incidentally, I mean, Bogey and Buddy just couldn't hit shots either, right? I mean, it was just, that was, that was really difficult. So I think that's come around a bit. I think that helps in in this because, yeah, you're going to have to rely on your vets. Um, look, Buddy and Bogey are vets now. I mean, those guys are – I would even – those guys are grouped in there. Buddy and Bogey are old enough. Um, they've got experience. Uh, I kind of grouped them in with Joseph. Certainly not a reason. They're a little bit longer in the tooth. But um, I think you have what you can trust there. And, and certainly when you mention it, when there's someone like Buddy, you know, it's kind of like how we were ta- – I was talking about how – meet that little bit of adversity and it snowballs. Well, Buddy, is a, Buddy and Bogey are kind of two examples of this. They tend to play hero ball a little bit, you know, try to stop a run, try to, um, you know, get a point, get something back where you were hit on the other end for maybe an offensive foul or a foul you didn't agree with, and then you try to force something on the other end. They're two of the biggest culprits of that. A lot of times, and you would see this in Dave Yeager's system, where Buddy would just break plays. Buddy would just try to put so much on himself because he expects so much of himself. That he feels he can just lift everybody out of the sun or any kind of hole that they have built for themselves. So I think sometimes in going to your 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 veterans is a way to show some of these guys that no, this is how we do this. This is how you know when they bench, when he benched everybody in Utah, he was seriously just looking for somebody that would give a damn, you know. And and incidentally, you know, De'Aaron Fox was really hurt in that game. He was banged up. He's been banged up all season. Um, he's finally kind of getting that. That 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 com- that comfort level back. He's not using any of those injuries as an excuse, but he's constantly getting worked on right now because he knows it's going to be a long a long season. And that's when you're going to have to use guys like Corey Joseph. You're going to have to rely on them. And Corey Joseph is probably they're also their best perimeter defender. Right, and I, I think that especially you mentioned Buddy and Bogey doing a little bit of hero ball when the shot's not falling. It, it seems like they try to search for it even a little bit more desperately mm-hmm. at times. But Bogey's definitely the one running that second unit. Um, so, it do you feel like it almost is they are looking for him to play a little bit of hero ball in a way, or do most of the creation in that second unit? And how much of an impact do you think pulling Holmes out of that second unit with him? Uh, has has affected Bogey because the first couple games we really saw them get a little bit of a synergy between the two. Yeah, that's not a bad observation. I hadn't uh, I hadn't thought of that. Um, I know that Luke looks at Bogey as a playmaker. Um, even when Corey Joseph's on there, that's what they had done in preseason. Um, Bogey considers himself to be a playmaker, but what they can't have is when Bogey just dribbles the hell out of the basketball and stagnates the offense. That's one criticism I've also seen early on, which is I haven't been. Uh, impressed with the half-court offense. And I think Luke Allow, because he's a former player, he really allows his players to kind of figure some things out. Um, and he made a he made a judgment call uh, to let, you know, when the other team's on a run, to try to let some of these players get out of it. And he didn't do that in Utah. I think he burned all his timeouts in that Utah game um, to make points when, when Utah would go on a even a mini run, a 4 nothing, a 6-0, and, and, and he needed his team to, to really kind of snap out of anything and, and not do the hero ball stuff and actually stick to running a play and stick with what works and look at it, have that next bucket mentality or go make a stop. Um, so I think there, it, there is some teaching that's going on along the way. I haven't thought it, you know, Rashawn Holmes out of the, I don't think that's as much of a, of an impact to what Bogey has. I think Bogey still is trying to figure out some of the pieces that are around him. Um, and you're right. Yeah. Maybe when you take someone like Rashawn out of that second unit, it affects things. But one thing I've noticed is, Luke Walton's done a really good job of trying to keep Buddy and or Fox on the floor at the same time. Um, you know, when one goes to the bench, at least the other one's out there. Uh, and so that there's a good mix of starters with bench players, even when Bogey has the ball in his hand. So um, I know that that's a, an emph- a point of emphasis, but I, I really don't know if, if, if the Holmes come, if him coming out has 
affected that. Because I think the half court offense has been pretty pretty stagnant altogether anyway. Looking at that big man rotation and going forward a little bit here, you know, this is something that Brennan and I talked about in the last episode, how when projecting forward, we feel like upon Bagley's return, he he and Holmes can't really coexist on the court at the same time for long stretches because neither of them is reliable with stretching the floor just yet. Um, and, you know, do you see that kind of as the dynamic where Deadman and Bielitsa can stretch the floor and Holmes and Bagley when he's healthy are going to be that, that threat to get to the rim, the, the rim runner, the, the pick and roll, the roll man, that sort of situation. Uh, do you think that, that that's kind of the competitions there where, you know, Deadman can start or Bielitsa can start, but it's tough to start them both. And Holmes can start right. or Bagley can start, but it's tough to start, you know, that pair. Do you see that as kind of kind of how this rotation is going to shake itself out? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I don't certainly don't see Bagley and Holmes starting together. I, I do agree with you there. Um, I I would expect that um, I would expect that that Luke will, will keep Belly in the lineup when Bagley comes back. I don't know that. That's just kind of a, a hunch on my part. I haven't spoken to Luke about that yet, but um, I. I I, I do kind of feel that they want that person to stretch. Um, they could go back to Deadman as well. That, that, that could be certainly an option. Personally, I, I wouldn't have started Deadman. I would have just gone with uh, Bagley and Belly myself. Uh, that's, that's, that's the way I would have done it. Um, I'm not sure that, it, that you know, I, I do see stretches where you will see the energy of Bagley and Rashawn Holmes on the floor at the same time. I don't think you'll start it there. I know we always kind of get caught up in the starters and, and who comes off the bench, but the one thing that I think will, will definitely happen is Rashawn Holmes has played him into played himself into a, a if not a six man role, a seventh man um, once Bagley comes back, and he's definitely going to have uh, rotational minutes that could supersede whoever else starts over him in that in that role outside of Marvin Bagley. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on itunes or wherever you're getting this podcast and if you want to follow us on twitter we'd love to interact with you we can take your questions answer them on the podcast as well that is at kings underscore pulse we also got an instagram kings underscore pulse and we are the official podcast of uh reddit r slash kings we got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions so we really appreciate it and, and thank you very much for listening The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And there's another big that has a little bit of a question mark to him in regards to his injury concern and Harry Giles, obviously. Do you have, first of all, any sort of update on what's going on with Harry Giles' health situation? And where do you feel like he fits in with this uh, logjam that's going on in the front court? Yeah. Uh, right now would have been the moment to have him, especially when, when Marvin's out, uh, because as we all know, I mean, with the way Rashawn has played, he's really kind of stolen minutes from Harry had he been available, in my mind. Um, uh, you know, when you're trying to work Harry back now, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, I, you know, Harry's still kind of coming along. It's a, it's a very, it's a very difficult situation to navigate because, uh, obviously they've declined his option that doesn't necessarily affect what they're going to do on the court and, and, and in terms of how they want to go throughout this season from a coaching standpoint, but Harry's got work to do. Harry's going to have to earn it. And I know that's what a lot of people within the organization are saying. Uh, and I think Harry is ready for that challenge. Uh, the one thing is though, yeah, he's, he's finally completed some practices. He could come back tomorrow night, although I don't, I don't think he will. Um, but yeah, he could come back tomorrow night. He's been questionable for the past week. Um, I don't really have an update there, but I know Harry's itching to get out there and play. I, 
this is the time to do it when you don't have Marvin Bagley. Um, you know, if, if he's to come back and if he's to make any headway, uh, it's not going to be a stretching the floor. It's going to be moving the ball through him. And a lot of times also, if he, if he's going to beat anybody out of the lineup, he's got to identify Dwayne Dedman and hope to take those minutes. So, um, he's just got to really work himself back and he's got to have that energy display that passing ability that, that we all know that he has. Um, it, I know people like to label Harry Giles as fragile and they're concerned with the knee, but after not playing that first full year, his first full season was last year and he played 58 games. Now, those were all due to missing for injury. I mean, he didn't play into some of the early games. I was making the, the I made the uh, observation that he should be in Stockton for a longer period just to get reps, just for him to play games because that's something he hasn't had. Uh, and then he got to play in 58 games. I think he was in a nice pretty decent rhythm he may have hit a little bit of a wall before his quad injury um not playing in summer league i don't think hurt him i do think you know i do know that there's concerns about his work ethic and and how he came into camp and what he did over the summer but how much of that is blamed on the knee how much you know he says it's not they you know they don't they obviously have concerns over the work ethic um they don't they decide not to guarantee the option for next year so now he's got to go out and earn it. Uh, and, and while you might have people in the organization say that, you know, we still love Harry, we want him to be your long term. Um, as you go forward, it's not, I I'm, I'm, can't think of one person, and I'm sure somebody out there will maybe send one my way or, or two or three that have done this, but I don't, I can't think of first round picks that have had their option declined who then turn around and resign as an unrestricted free agent. So I, I, I don't know of one. Um, so while, yes, that, that possibility exists, it doesn't seem very realistic. So it's tough to get a grip on this whole Harry Giles situation because, you know, and we heard you just say a lot of it, but it's confusing when Giles says very clearly that he's healthy, uh, but the Kings are clearly saying that he's not by, make, you know, by, by his injury uh, status in going into games. And then the Kings are also saying, you know, according to Amick and according to others that they want Harry to earn a spot on this team, yet they're declining his option, making it, you know, impossible to earn more than $4 million next year. So they want him to earn, you know, what he, they wanted to earn a spot. They wanted to prove that he's worth this money but they then, by declining the option, cannot give him more than $4 million. So if he were to break out, if he were to have, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, excellent turn of events where he's playing great, they are putting themselves in a position to, to lose him off the team. Um, you know, it, it's – I hope you can understand uh, my, my frustration and confusion around it because it – I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like we know everything that's going on in the situation because – you know, in addition to that, as you said, all this talk of questioning his work ethic or, or whatever, however you'd, you'd put that, questioning his, you know, the way that he took care of himself over the summer, that all emerged right around the time that they decided to decline the option. I mean, is there any more clarification you can offer on the situation or are you even in a situation where you just, you don't know what to make of this? No, I think it's, uh, there is a lot of, there is a lot of uh, murkiness to there. Um, there are some that believe that he didn't work hard, that he didn't, uh, you know, and, and mind you, I would like, to, I would like to point out to people that he was hurt. <laughs> he came out of the season hurt. Um, maybe he, they didn't, he didn't do to, he didn't, you know, achieve X, Y, and Z coming into summer camp uh, where he was originally thought to be a contributing member of that roster. Uh, and then they hide behind a statement saying, oh, we're going to look at other people at that position. That was true, by the way. But the other thing that was true is he didn't look right. I remember being out at a practice watching him with Jason Jones, and we were saying to ourselves, there's something wrong. He does not look healthy. Um, he doesn't look like he's moving very well. Um, and I think he was still injured. So if there were any concerns, and again, those aren't my – that's not me saying um, that his work ethic is terrible. That's just things that I had been told – from certain people. There are some that believe that he did not uh, achieve a certain level of work ethicness or, or, you know, show the desire to work or they didn't know where, he, you know, some people didn't know where he was and where he was in his training. So if they felt that he was a step behind going into summer league, um, maybe they, you know, they, what they did say at the time that he was healthy. And that was the part that I had questioned 
And that's why in bringing it up to him, he says, no, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. Then the day, before, literally the day they leave for India, uh, we leave practice and we find out that Harry's got a sore knee. So in talking to him weeks later, because he was not made available um, to, to speak to us, um, he finally tells us that, yeah, he had his knee a little flare up, a um, little pain, a little sweat, but he's also going it, you know, they were going two-a-days and they were, he was participating in all that, that the two-a-days all throughout the weekend before they left for India. So as he says, he's going to be flaring up a little bit. Um, I think the training staff is going to have a pause for concern because obviously it's Harry and he's got a, a history here. So you want to take things a little bit slow. Um, but yeah, I don't know where, I, I, in terms of the declining the option, and oh, we still like Harry, we want him to earn it. it. That part I think is very straightforward. Guys, that, that's talking out of both sides of your face. <laughs> that's, that's what that is. Because both things can be true. But at what you may like Harry, but you're also betting that the rest of the league doesn't want to spend over four million dollars for him or whatever that mark is. Whatever you know, you, you kind of, that's why to me it doesn't make sense that you've got a three year player who's in his third year who is really going into his second year as an NBA player and has really only played one season as an NBA player. So when you choose to give a guy you're redshirting him that first year to give him development and he plays fifty eight games in the second season to me, I think that you should guarantee that extra year. Um, I just, especially at such a low number, it doesn't make all that much sense to me. Um, the Kings seem to think that they know what they're doing with that. Maybe they're going to bet on it in a different way. We'll see how that goes. But, um, yeah, as of right now, Harry still has to earn it. And he's playing for his basketball life. And, and if anything, I, Harry received that message loud and clear, and hopefully we'll see him on the court here soon. I just don't know what that looks like in terms of playing time. Right now, as I mentioned before, I was like, this is the time to do it with Marvin Bagley, for sure, with him being out. But when Bagley comes back, as you guys mentioned, the front court players are a little bit loaded. Who takes, you know, who does he take minutes from? He's going to have to earn it. And I don't see how, I, I don't, it's not going to be an easy road, to, uh, an easy task. Yeah, it definitely is an interesting story and a little bit of a mystery behind it that Kings fans will be trying to decipher all year long, I'm sure. Um, but the next game we got coming up for the Sacramento te- Kings team is Wednesday night in Toronto. What are your feelings heading into this game after, you know, obviously they dropped the first five, but they've won uh, their two most recent, including the start of this road trip. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a game where you got to go in there thinking we're going to roll, roll this momentum. Uh, you're going against the defending champs, although obviously they don't have Kawhi Leonard, but it's a hell of a test for them. Um, I feel like they look at, they should break down the season much like any coach would in, in game, little increments here and there. And I think if you're looking at this road trip, uh, you know, if you go two and one, that's a fantastic road trip. You know, if you go, uh, you've got winnable games on this road trip. Luckily you got the first, um, if, if you drop one in Toronto, but you got to get the Atlanta game. So however, however it works, no matter how the, as long as the, at, the, at the time everything's cooked together, comes out as a tasty meal at the end, if you're two and one, that's the tasty meal, right? I think, uh, I think they look at it as a winnable game. I think they're carrying some momentum in there. And it was Darren Fox actually who reminded me of the way they played last year and how they really kind of found themselves on the road. That's where they found them that success. They went on the road, won three of four, uh, beginning with that Thunder game in Oklahoma City, and, and things kind of took a turn from there and just kind of and kind of rolled on. And they got off to that early start that was so crucial to that season's success. And I think they look at this season much the same as they should. I mean, if they're going to have any sort of success, you got to do it early on. You can't be playing catch up especially in this Western conference. So um, yeah, they're looking at it uh, as a, as a chance to get right. This certainly these three games, a chance to get right. And if you come back and you're, wow, if, if you could, if you could win all three, that would be, uh, that would be really impressive. And you really kind of turn the season around at that point. And I think people are feeling good about themselves, but yeah, it starts tomorrow in, in Toronto. Uh, it's a, it's a game that they've had two days to get ready for uh, and while being on the East coast. And, and hopefully Luke Walton's team is, had a lot of focus to them. I think, you know, it's going to, I think it's a tough task. I think they're going to probably get bounced, but how they compete is what I want to see. Uh, that's, you know, to me, bigger than the win. You just, I just if they can put together a, a game where they contesting, if they're, you know, competing at a high level, that'll be the big thing. Cause that'll let me, that'll tell me everything I need to know going into that final game in Atlanta. Last question for you, Sean, real quick. You said 36 yep. was your win total before the season right. started. Has that, Changed at all, or are you sticking with your guns? No, it's, I'm sticking with it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really 
I'll be I'll be more, I'll be thrilled to be wrong with that. Believe me, I've covered enough bad basketball. I'm ready for playoffs again. But um, unfortunately, this conversation didn't help much in trying to around <laughs> that win total. I mean, what what did you guys have? I mean, in comparison, if I'm at 36, Richard and Brennan, what did you have? Uh, I had 42, uh, but I was firm okay. on I was firm on no playoffs. And and Brendan, why don't you tell him what you got? Yeah, I was I was a little bolder. I had 44 and barely sneaking in the playoffs, thinking that a lot of teams would be around that mark in that sort of six to ten range in the West. Yeah, yeah. I mean, does my it, the way you hear that? I mean, is it is it all that far fetched? Does it make sense, or do you look at me like I've got two heads on my shoulders? Uh, it makes a lot more sense now. I've already, I already went on record saying that I think the new over under is is thirty. Uh, but that, of course, that was after zero and five and that really bad loss at home to Charlotte. But you know, I think thirty six sounds about right to me now. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that it, taking anything away from those first five games. I mean, the worst team I ever covered was a seventeen win game season, and uh, I didn't even think that team could could have. <laughs> I don't even think they could have beaten that team that that first the Tyreek season. So. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I hate being the pessimist. And again, I have no problem being wrong. Um, but it's just, uh, I hope I am wrong. I hope they hope they see some competitive basketball and, and certainly they've done it with the small sample size. They've done it these last two games. I think, I really think, and it's a shame cause I wasn't there because I was traveling, but I really feel that that Utah game, um, there's a lot, I think that when it's all said and done, no matter what happens this season, People, that's going to be one of those earmarks for the season where they look back and say that's a huge positive that they got that win over Utah. Yeah, and uh, that's all that we got for you, Sean. We can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day and coming on to talk a little bit of basketball with us, man. Oh, anytime, guys. Pleasure to be here. All right, and now we got the second edition of our brand new segment, the 916th Man. We got a different listener on here participating. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes, uh, my name is John Catterson. Uh, my Twitter handle is at uh, John underscore Catterson. It's J-O-N underscore Catterson, C-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N. Like Patterson with the C is what I've said my whole life. So, yeah. Uh, I also do a website called uh, Sack Kings Playbook. When you type it in, it could be like Sack Kings Playbook, but sackkingsplaybook.com is the website I started in July. Yeah, definitely recommend that. You've been a listener and friend of the show for a while, John. I know Rich and I uh, speak to you somewhat often, and we appreciate you listening, man, and definitely recommend everyone checking out checking out your site. You do a lot of good video breakdowns for the team. But hopping into a couple questions we got for you on this year so far, man. Uh, obviously, it was a rough start with uh, going 0-5, but they won their two most recent games, the Kings, that being, against Utah and in New York. What were the differences that you saw between those first five losses and the two most recent wins they've strung together? Well, I wouldn't focus any so much on the stats, per se. I feel like they just kind of um, got out of a big-time funk they were in. I felt like the first two games... Um, it just seemed like everyone had a low basketball IQ on the on the team all at once, all at once on the same on the same team on the, on the floor, and they just seemed to snap out of it wherever that was for. I think it may have been um, due to that trip. I, I, I don't buy the whole like it's physically taxing the travel and stuff like that. I don't buy that, but because they're the best conditioned athletes in the world, is what they say, and it's and they're in their in their twenties and early thirties. But um, being away and being traveling and doing all that traveling and doing all that stuff may have. Uh, not allowed them to develop the system and learn the system like they like they like they could have if they had been staying at home. So I guess that's what I'm what I'm basing it on right now. But they just looked a little lot more together and like they were they knew what they were doing. It seemed like to me that they involved all about those two wins. And even in the first half of the Charlotte game, the second half was a disaster. But um, in the first half of the Charlotte game, it seemed like that as well. Yeah, because those first five games were really horrific, except like you mentioned, I mean, the first half of Charlotte was all right, and some of the first half of games in Denver felt like they competed, but yeah, they definitely felt like they all had a lack of effort and a low IQ at times, like you kind of mentioned, but heading into this year, I think a lot of people had high expectations. Were Were you one of those people, and how has your expectations changed at all with what you've seen in these first seven games? 
My expectations was uh, 44 or 45 wins. I'm probably on record with both of those at various times. I'm not sure which one's my last one. 44 or 45 at the beginning of the season, before the season started. I uh, projected them to be the ninth seed again, but just a lot closer to that uh, to eighth seed this, year, this coming year. And uh, that has gone down, of course, not of course, but I mean, for me, it has gone down. I think, um, I think what I said though, was that, you know, the role players have improved. I felt like based on, on paper and then that Buddy and Bogey are ending their prime and young players like Fox and uh, Bagley should take a step and the wild card was coaching and it still kind of is the wild card for me and that may be um, I'm just I'm, I'm downgrading it down to about 39 wins hopefully like they can re- replicate what they did last year and that it may take the coaches staff some time to implement their new plans so um, it's a new it's a new coaching staff all new all new coaches except for Bobby Jackson so it just may take a while for them to get the get going, and it may be uh, this season is more of a learning season than uh, than many of us were expecting. Yeah, and Rashawn Holmes has stepped into that starting spot over Deadman, who was brought in. Really, it seemed like to be a nice pairing next to Bagley, but when Bagley went down, and overall Deadman has had a really rough start. Um, how do you feel like that front court should work when Bagley returns? Should he? Uh, immediately be slotted back into the starting lineup, and if so, next to who? That's really tough. Um, that's a really that's, that's the question of the hour. It feels like to me on Twitter and uh, on places like Southtown Royalty and Royal Paint. But the question of the hour right now is, and it's it, it's funny because it's not even going to be mattered for at least a couple of weeks. But um, it's not going to be decided for at least a couple of weeks. But um, I guess what I'm hoping for really is that uh, Deadman can start uh, shooting better. I feel like Deadman is going, is doing okay as far as his effort goes. He's keeping strong, good effort. He's like, I don't know the stats, I have the stats in front of me, but I feel like he's going for the rebounds. He's, uh, he's blocking shots. He's contesting shots. He's, he's, uh, his passing obviously needs a lot of work or needs to be, I don't know what's going on with his passing, but um, that's not one of his strengths coming into the season. So, I feel like if Devin can play, can get a shooting back to where it was with Atlanta or up up in that area, then he could start with uh, with Bagley. Because I feel like I think it's uh, I'm not sure how to say his name, but uh, Key of Sacktime Royalty pointed out on Twitter that it's good to have a roll big with a stretch big at the same time. So our two stretch bigs would be uh, Devin and Devin and Bilica. And Devin plays center, and Bilica usually plays power forward. And then we have two uh, roll bigs in Holmes and Bagley. And uh, Bagley usually plays power forward, Holmes plays center. So it just would be weird to start Bagley and Holmes. It'd be weird to start, uh, it'd be weird to start Bagley and Bilica, I feel like, because I would put Bagley at center, which I don't think he's good enough at defensively at this at this time to, to do center. So really, long story short, what I'm hoping for is that Devin can shoot better from three and that he can start with, uh, with, with, uh, with Bagley at power forward. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I feel the same way with that. That's I feel like that's what Deadman was here for, like I kind of mentioned, and I still think he can do that. The shot has to get better. Um, it, I mean, 38% last year, it's definitely going to get a little bit closer to that this year, even if it's not quite that mark. Um, and then... Yeah, can I have one more thing about that? Yeah, so this is a concept I learned in school, but I think it may apply to stuff like shooting, but... It's the concept of mean reversion, and uh, mean reversion doesn't necessarily mean that someone is shooting. It, it does mean someone is shooting really well, like Belitza, for example. It's probably going to go back to the mean of a uh, high 30s or, or, or low 40s, right? It's not going to be in the 50s for the whole season. But it also means that someone like Deadman, who has shown consistently that he's a 30%, 35%, 38% shooter from deep, he's going to come back up from 18 or whatever it is right now percent. He's going to go up. He's going to he's going to mean revert up not just Muenberg down, Muenberg up to probably in the 30s somewhere. So we hope to see that soon, but um, it should happen eventually. Yeah, agreed. It's rough that it's happening at the beginning of the year and a lot of Kings fans have <laughs> questions to Deadman, but uh, totally agree. It'll come back around. And tonight the Kings have the second game of this road trip in Toronto. What are some of your thoughts heading into that game? Well, I uh, don't have many thoughts of coming into this game, except that... Um, you know, Toronto is a championship team, obviously, and they lost their best player in Kawhi Leonard, but are, yeah, their best player still in Kawhi Leonard. Um, if he had stayed up the team, he'd be their best player. But 
But they have a, a very, 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 very good player in Pascal Siakam, and they have all their most of their core back. You know, so they're they're a strong. They're four and two right now. They're a strong team. They're playing at home. They've had a lot of rest, which could be good or bad. But um, I just think that the Kings are probably going to take a take a loss on this one. The Kings do have rest as well, but they're but uh, so I just am expecting the Kings. What I'm hoping for the Kings to do is just continue to develop their system, continue to play hard, continue to play with effort, and continue to. Uh, just grow their system and learn each other, how each other plays with each other and just, just get better. But um, I'm not expecting a win. And uh, yeah, I know, I guess I kind of break, I kind of break pessimistic. I try to be realistic, but I break pessimistic. So <laughs> just the way I am, but yeah. Yeah, understandable. I think Toronto is 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 the better team. Um, I feel like this is a good opportunity for Deadman because if he can hit his shot, because pulling Marcus Gasol out of the paint really nullifies a lot of his usefulness. Um, so hopefully this can be a nice game for Deadman, um, give him a little bit of opportunity. And the last thing I got for you, John, is who do you feel like has been the most and least impressive player so far into this, in, in this still infancy of the year? Well, most impressive, I think, has to be either Bilitza or Holmes. I'll just go with Bilitza. He's uh he's been so consistent. It feels like to me the shooting percentages are are through the roof as as they were as they were at the beginning of the last season. He's been uh, uh again around the stats, but he's been he's been an underrated rebounder. Like he's been doing well with rebounding. That's not really his strength or his what his calling card is, but he's been he's been showing up in that area, you know. And now he's like he's this power forward, he's this point power forward thing about the oops with Holmes. It's just like he's doing everything, you know. I, I kind of half jokingly tweeted that he was. Uh, on triple double watch for the Knicks game because he was he was somewhere up there with like twelve points and and eight rebounds and six assists. So he's just been uh, he's been a star in his role. I guess that's what uh, Doc Rivers tries to tell his players sometimes. He's, he's a star in his role. And he's been he's not he's not been a he's not been a star, but he's been a star in his role. That's for sure. Um, <clears throat> least impressive. Well, I, I could say Deadman, and I guess that kind of is the easy answer, but. Um, like I said, I like his effort. I like I, I, I'm, I'm happy with Edmund's effort right now and, and the way he's playing. And I'm happy with this guy's effort too. But Bogey just seems like a letdown for me. I guess just because uh, least impressive, maybe because of expectations. World Cup Bogey, I was expecting to see that. He's more like he's he's dribbling a lot and doesn't seem to turn into much this year. Like last year, he would dribble a lot, and just I was getting frustrated with him dribbling so much. He'd set up an assist for uh, for Holly Stein or or some or Bagley or someone else. You know? Seems like he's just dripping a lot until he turns into takes takes a fall away or a fadeaway jumper, and uh, it just doesn't seem to be working out so much so far for him this season. But he's another one with the outside shooting for sure that mean reversion should take place, and uh, he should come up as the season progresses. So, yeah, totally understandable with the both of those, and uh, that's all I had for you, John. Is there anything else that you felt like you wanted to throw in here? No, I'm good. No, thanks for thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And just to double down on, John is a great follow on Twitter. Um, I don't, okay, it's at John underscore Catterson. And you got the Sat Kings playbook website going on as well. So everyone be sure to check that out. And uh, yeah, that is going to do it for this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again in the next couple of days.